Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are all doing wonderful. Today, I just wanted to share a perspective of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the context of what is going on in our country, racism, division, hatred, everybody taking their stand of talking about the issues that they face and feeling discriminated or, uh, and then pushing their ideologies and their, uh, you know, just everything that people are struggling with. What it ultimately comes down to is the proclamation of somebody saying that somebody else didn't value their life as they should have with dignity, uh, value, and purpose, which the church of Jesus Christ, the Catholic church has been proclaiming for 2000 years. So Jesus Christ is the answer. And that is not some fluffy, uh, sentimental thing. That is the truth. That is, uh, Jesus Christ dying on a cross for us where suffering becomes actually unifying. And so we need to suffer with each other in order to bring about unity. And this is what we have been proclaiming for 2000 years with the world so desperately needs right now to say every single person is sacred. This is what we've been saying the whole time. You're even worthy of fighting and dying for. So I just wanted to provide this a little, um, just the lens and perspective of the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of these areas, um, of what we are facing as a country and a culture right now. And this, and everybody's crying out for Jesus and for that gospel of the good news that your life is sacred, your life has purpose and your life has dignity that nobody can take away. So over the past few months, I have been, I've had a chance of just reflecting in prayer and speaking with a few people. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm like this, uh, you know, proactive person. These are just discussions that I've had and people kind of like in passing, but I've spoke with people um, within the company that I work at, outside the company and from different races. And I think that I can share a perspective of the gospel that is super helpful for what the world and the culture is crying out for. And so um, I remember, uh, you know, just looking back on, you know, a lot of corporations, they're looking at internally what they look like and how they're, you know, what they do internally um, from a corporation and how they operate, but also externally. And it's been great to see the awakening of seeing corporations, large corporations that have realized that they do not have a diverse leadership or diverse uh, management and, you know, employees. So uh, I know some corporations, uh, you know, some people within corporations who have said they can't remember a time that they even interviewed a black candidate. And this is obviously a huge issue, right? So what I, it's great because like, uh, and what we're going to get to in a second is, you know, a lot of times we, and identifying these issues, there's always good that comes out of any evil or, or bad, you know, good always triumphs. And it's actually in these times where good is brought out of God is always working in our hearts. So, um, now that this has happened, a lot of people have seen within their own corporations, within their own lives, that there isn't a tendency or a reality that is not reflective of reflecting a diverse culture. And so it's been great to see that one corporations are seeing these issues, but also then addressing it and also, um, you know, you know, addressing it in the way of being proactive in their communities that they serve specifically in those communities who are vulnerable, who, uh, don't have resources. And that's particularly the minority communities and also within internally making sure that they can find ways within their community to, to provide opportunities for, 
black and brown lives in order to, you know, have those opportunities to come into the firm and also to have that diversity within the leadership to make actual leadership decisions. So, and it's always uh, interesting, like paradox, as we become actually more and more diverse, we actually become more and more united, right? As we come together to tackle those societal issues within all the communities that our people are in. And even further yet, when we become, after becoming more diverse and actually that actually makes us more united, that unity actually becomes even more of a reason for diversity, right? Because now we're able to express our different characters and strengths and qualities even in a greater way because not a single person alone possesses everything that we all need and they don't have the answer to it. Diversity leads to unity and unity leads to diversity. We all need each other, right? And um, we've all been gifted with different talents and strengths so that we would all work together for the common good. You know, just look at the example of Blessed Solanus Casey right here in Detroit. He was a very simple, humble, quiet man who didn't become the full priest that he wanted to. He was named a priest simplex because the community that he was in didn't find him smart, but that was only because he didn't uh, know the language. So he had the, I think it was German. So he had to learn that whole language and actually his IQ was super, super high. He's a very smart man, but he was a humble door greeter. And he started a soup kitchen that today feeds over half a million people and strives for education and addressing root issues of social justice. And that in Blessed Solanus Casey said, we were made, how good is our God who made us dependent upon each other? So we are all dependent upon each other. You know, like, you know, scripture talks about it in First Corinthians about how us, we as a people in, in the church, we are the body of Christ. The hand cannot, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We all need each other. We need to suffer with each other. And when one suffers, we all suffer. And when one uh, is honored, we all rejoice, right? So, and that's true as the human family, as the human race. And so, it's great when we can see those corporations making changes, you know, becoming more and more diverse in order to become more and more unified. And that's also true for governments and policies. And those all do need to be changed and updated. That is for sure what we need to do. We need, we're, you know, we're calling on people within our governments, within their policies to make updates and changes that protect people and also ensure that a continuation of that protection happens. Just so, like, uh, you know, what's going on right now with the, with the police force is that, you know, they could have more and more education, more and more training going into the field. So then there's not people that have been trained for, you know, less than a few months and then go out there with a gun and a taser. Right. So, and then there's laws in place right now that need to be changed because they protect cops who have murdered or abused their authority on other people unjustly. They unjustly discriminated or they abused their power and authority and they were not actually protecting people. They're actually harming people and that needs to change. But we can't also, on the other extreme, we can't ever say that every single person within the police, like I just saw a sticker the other day, said blue lives murder. Oh, I, that makes me so sad for the for the incredible police officers that we do have in our community, which is probably the majority of them. I don't know that for sure, but I can imagine the majority of them. But there are a lot of bad ones. There's bad people in every single corporation, organization, in the human race in general. So we shouldn't be labeling a whole sect or organization of people based on you know a few uh, people. But governments and policies do need to change. But ultimately, a government 
or policies or laws, they alone can never ever fix the issues or give what our country and our culture is always crying out for. Our governments and policies can never answer for us. Go to the ultimate extreme, like Marxism, socialism, communism. They actually harm people when people place their entire hopes in the government to be the answers to their prayers or to the to be the answers. The governments and laws are not our God, right? So, um, and the governments and laws themselves can't uh, change us. It's ultimately a heart issue. It is a human heart issue. I was speaking with an African-American manager at my firm and, you know, this is what she said. She said, it's ultimately a heart issue. Just because the speed limit says 55, it doesn't mean that I don't go 55. What happened to George Floyd, David McAtee, and others killed unjustly, those were actual violations of old laws and policies, even the old ones that should be updated. Those were still violations of what happened. And every single injustice is typically against a law. The law itself will never completely ratify the injustices that we see. The law and the government cannot solve the issue alone. It is the only change in the human heart. And this is why uh, proclaiming the gospel and evangelizing and conversion of hearts is the only answer to the problems of our culture and our country is the change of a human heart. So it's a not an either or of government and policies and a human heart. It's a both and. Yes, change policies, but the heart is the root. What happened to George Floyd, David McAtee, and others and other people who have been killed unjustly, that death, that murder was the culmination. It was the end of what was actually already harbored in the heart of another human being seeing another human being with no dignity, no value, no purpose. So they didn't have any regard for their life and they disregarded the value, the dignity of that person's life, right? So death and murder is just the culmination, but what actually rooted it was hatred in someone's heart. And so at the heart of every single issue in our country and our culture that's crying out for right now and always has been throughout history is that other humans didn't see another human being as having value or dignity. So this message, what I'm proclaiming right now, is not because of me. I don't have the answer, but I belong to a faith, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that has the answer of Jesus Christ. And this is history. History tends to repeat itself, and it's also just a personal experience of how my heart has changed from living in union with Jesus. So for 2,000 years, the church has been proclaiming that every person's life has value, dignity, purpose, and their life is sacred, regardless of what they can do for society or anybody, and regardless of their race, color, ethnicity, or even what they do. And not only that, but we're saying that every single life, no matter what if you disability, race, ethnicity, language, limitations, capabilities, that what you do does not make you valuable. It is who you are. Not only that, but you're worthy of fighting and dying for. And out of that belief, out of the Catholic Church, out of that proclamation of the gospel that your life is worthy, your life is worthy to die for, I will die for you, protecting and fighting for you. And out of that belief came throughout the entire world, higher education, sciences, hospitals, orphanages, and push for human rights that respect the dignity of every human person. But the church has always been aware of, it's great to have all those in place, but guess what? It's also a change in the human heart, and that is what we want to address. It's the, it's 
creating environments such as you know higher education sciences hospitals orphanages governments policies laws to protect human rights but it's also addressing the human heart which is what is ultimately needed so policy policy change yes human heart is even much more needed it's a conversion of mind and heart and you know we live in a culture in general not everybody but in general our culture is a very self-centered mentality to go in what can i get for myself and you know we read a lot of self-help books and uh, looking in all these ways how I can improve myself. It's very self-centered. And even, uh, and this is different. I'm not saying, you know, corporations should be serving the people um, and not vice versa. The people within the corporation should be serving their communities, right? But I, just as an example, an illustration is that the, the what, I, what I work in as a CPA, I'm in a big public accounting firm, Typically what people do, and this is my thinking when I'm going start, starting too, is that I'm going to work for two years and then leave. I'm using something in order to better myself, to get to better places, right? To get, to move onward. And that in itself is not bad because, you know, it's a corporation and not a person, but I just want to illustrate the mentality of what we have. And that's both conscious and, and unconscious. That was very unconscious to me. I'm not thinking that I'm self-centered, selfish person when I thought that, but a lot of these things come back to our culture preaches we're self-made, self-centered mentality, selfish. What can I get for myself? You know, and don't trust others. Don't you know help others out? And that's what we, our our culture and our country is proclaiming now, and it is detrimental to ourselves. We're hurting ourselves because we're not called to be served, but to serve. And in that serving, we actually find true virtue and unity and love that we all long for. And uh, I remember somebody said, you know, children aren't born hating. They learn it, right? So, and then on another on another note, another uh, a white person said, not only did I not know that this happened is because I didn't experience it, but I just didn't know that it happened in general, like this racism and stuff like that. Because I grew up in a, in a, in a city or a town that was all white or primarily white. And so I didn't see these issues, right? So people, um, you know, I just didn't see it. And then another interesting uh, take on it was I was speaking to a 40-year-old friend of mine who's white. He grew up in the 80s. And he was taught, this is after, you know, the civil rights movement and everything, he was taught not to see color. But he had a very interesting take. He said, not to see color, that's a nice sentiment and all. But it actually led to being very dismissive and blind to the issues. Well, I don't see color. Well, then you didn't see the problems with what those people of color actually were struggling for because you were just taught to not see color, which is, it sounds great, but actually led to being dismissive and blind to the issues. And so, Education and our hearts are formed primarily through experience, right? So like those children who aren't born hating, they learn it. A lot of those people weren't taught explicitly like, hey, you should hate these people. But they were taught through just the example of the environment they were in. They they learned it through their parents and their environment, how people treated each other within their own families, within their own homes every single night. You know, we have a lot of uh, broken families. And so... Yes, we should learn. We need to educate ourselves. We should learn through learning the facts and the history. Like watch the the documentary called The 13th. It goes through the 13th Amendment, which after the uh, um, abolishing slavery, it actually within the 13th Amendment, amendment said, you know, uh, slavery uh, is now illegal, but except for the cases of, you know, people being um, charged with, with criminal acts or anything like that. So what happened? 
He started arresting black people, framing black people, making them look to be the people of that were causing issues. And this was particularly prevalent in the South because after slavery, the economy just went in shambles in the South because their whole, their whole economy was based on low cost manufacturing that the slaves provided, but now they're all gone. So who's going to do the manufacturing and who's going to help us produce all these things. So what they do, they started arresting black people and that caused a bunch of discrimination, a bunch of unjust things happening to black people in order to lock them up again to serve the economy. So yes, we need to educate ourselves through learning the facts and history, such as watching that 13th documentary, which I recommend, but the best education ever that we could ever get is through experiencing, through serving and bearing other people's burdens and suffering. So it's not an intangible or a fluffy thing. Actually, experience is forming our education. At the same time, we grow in a tangible empathy, which is not sympathy. It's empathy. It's a suffering with and compassion. And those are not arbitrary. Those are tangible realities. And so we're one human family. Every single human person you see, I forget who said it. It may have been uh, Maximilian Colby, but I don't want to misquote the, the saint that said it. But they essentially said that the holiest thing you could ever encounter outside the Eucharist on this earth is another human being. So we're one human family. Every single person you see is either the body of Christ or a human uh, made in the image of God. So every single person you see is sacred. Their life is, is holy. It's sacred. And so one as one human family, when one suffers, we all suffer together. Everybody suffers in this life. Every single person that has ever lived has suffered, but each person suffers to different degrees, right? Like I'll never be able to experience what a typical black person experiences living in this country. I'll never be able to experience, um, you know, any form of, I'm talking as a white man, you know, at one point it was the women that were discriminated against as well. So like, I, I'm not only am I uh, white, but I'm also a white man, you know? And so I'll never be able to experience that, but I can suffer with people. So everybody's suffering, but to different degrees. And it cannot be dismissive. Actual suffering and uh, serving people is active. And it's active with courage and bravery to call out injustices and to seek justice. So and through serving and through suffering together with people and being faithful to each other while we bear each other's burdens or their crosses, we actually become even more united. So the human condition, there, we have a human condition that sees physical sufferings as, worse, as the worst injustice, right? So we try to weed out all physical sufferings. But the real suffering is when a human person, their value is completely disregarded. And it's the real suffering is in someone's heart when they suffer from depression, hatred, or feeling bigoted towards or anything like that. That is the worst injustice. It's the moral, emotional sufferings of people, a physical suffering that we see it's easy to see, and then so we react to that. But the worst sufferings is in people's hearts when they're hurt from other people, when people's lives aren't valued as they should be. So we should have a just anger when we see these injustices, right? So we strive for that justice. We should have a just anger. But do not let that anger settle on you. By We should be moved out of love. Actually, in love, we actually see the injustices, right? And that's what should motivate us. So when we, even when we see the injustices, it should be seen from love. And when we strive for justice, we should be moving out of love. The motivation needs to always be rooted in authentic love, to begin in love, continue in love, and to end in love for each other. And true, authentic love, the culture in the world, what they proclaim right now, the culture in our country, what they say love, love is, it's just a feeling. That is not what love is. 
True, authentic love is truth and compassion. Truth is acknowledging reality. Compassion literally comes from the the root words of to suffer with. And that's what true, authentic love is. Another, uh, Another definition of true, authentic love is from Pope John Paul II is to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. And if you will the good of the other, it's always going to be based on truth and compassion. I will the good of the other. I proclaim the truth to you, but with compassion. I don't just say the truth and then walk away. And nor do I disregard the truth and then show you compassion because that's not true love. It's always a both. And I share the truth with you. Here's reality. Here's what is going on in your life in reality. Here's what's going on in the culture, the country. Here's what's going on in my life. And now let's suffer together. Let's actually have compassion. So growing in that authentic love, then the human heart will actually have true freedom within itself. And real freedom is not to do whatever we want, but it's to choose what we ought to choose, to do what we ought to do. And that's always choosing what's true, good, and beautiful. If we love like this, we will all have the characteristics that we all want for ourselves and for others. We, if we truly authentically love to proclaim truth and to have compassion to suffer with people, that is true authentic love. We will be those people that we want ourselves to be and to others. We will be just, prudent. We'll have fortitude. We'll be temperate, kind, gentle, gracious, generous, meek, humble, patient, faithful, pure in heart, peacemaker, merciful, joyful, perseverant in the midst of adversity, to have joy and to be forgiving, to be gracious. We will be all of those things if we truly have love. Love truly does fulfill all things. So uh, we need as a whole human race. Every single human person needs an examination of their own hearts, their own lives, their own intentions, their own mindset for healing internally and to better love others. You know, experiences in our lives can impact our own hearts. You know, throughout our lives, we're wounded and we wound others, whether it's directly or indirectly. Just just think of how all the feelings that you're feeling from all this that's going on in your family's life or in the country or the culture. You feel hurt, you feel mad, you feel sad, you feel disheartened. All of those feelings are through direct or indirect experiences of our of reality of what this what we go through as a human race. But also a lot of times situations oftentimes reveal what was already in our hearts. So maybe it's not even being we're directly wounded by something, but that situation that we see something in, our hearts may feel anger. We might feel rage, we might feel violent or anything like that. We it's already revealing what our heart what's already in our heart. So it's just showing the reality of how much healing our human hearts actually need. So we all need it's very important right now to have an examination of our own hearts. And that's what's getting down to the root issue within all of us. Conversion of heart is not merely what we do or avoid to do, but it's even our inclinations or intentions within our hearts. You know, one person might say, well, I'm not racist or I would never do that or I'll never harm somebody. But in their heart, if they actually have hatred, they're called to purify their own hearts. You know, uh, there's an example. I forget. I honestly forget the story. And I, I was trying to find it recently and I could not find it anywhere, but I've heard it a few times. This guy was, uh, um, I don't know if he was working with the Nazis or whatever, but he was essentially working to like help, uh, you know, get rid of the, the Jewish people and he was doing it for money. And so this guy, uh, you know, after, you know, years go by, then they find this guy, the attorney, the the person who is seeking this justice. I don't know if he is Jewish or something like that, but he was seeking justice for these people who were, you know, blatantly just being murdered from this guy for money. When he came into the courtroom, he has never seen him in person before. Before he came to the courtroom, he was expecting the guy who was seeking justice, you know, he was expecting to see a monster, to see just somebody who just looks evil. And the guy walked in 
and he looked like just another human person. And the guy who didn't do all this, he was seeking justice. He's in, you know, he's in the, he's in the, on, you know, in the court just watching this all unfold. He starts crying and he starts realizing that he's also capable of that. We also, we, it's not just something what we merely do and don't do. We need to look at our intentions and our inclinations. It's a deep purity. It's a deep healing. It's a deep uh, conversion of our hearts. And our hearts are extremely connected with our thoughts. Our thoughts feed our hearts. So we need to renew our minds as well. So what are we watching? What are we listening to? We need to protect our thoughts to protect our hearts. And this is what we even call, even if we don't leave, like we're watching something that is inappropriate, vulgar, violent, uh, anything that's, you know, even promoting a bad culture, which most TV does now, which most uh, entertainment does now. It promotes a culture that is uh, against the teachings and the true love of Jesus Christ. And a lot of us want to think that we're not affected by this, but, and this is why we call, you know, the, we call it the, um, the near occasions of sin. And another secular way to think about it is, you know, this actually does change me. Like watching these angry shows or something like that, like there's a part of me that will be more angry, more impatient, more lustful, uh, more violent, more um, willing or wanting or just being dismissive of like these issues because, well, I become like numb to this stuff because I just see it all the time. We need to protect our thoughts to protect our hearts. And as our own hearts heal, we actually become the people that we desire to truly be. Then we're in a better place and we can begin seeking that justice and dialoguing with others to know uh, this true, the, that truth and compassion, right? To truly have another conversion of hearts within their, their hearts. And we're, so a lot of times we approach talking to people as we need to persuade people. It's not mere persuasion, but it's conversion, and it's kindness that leads to conversion. It's the kindness of God that leads to conversion. Kindness is not passive. It's active and rooted in that truth and compassion. So our culture just, I mean, our culture has straight up lost the ability to speak to each other about issues with respect and love. Just literally just have to flip on any political debate. And next thing you know, an issue gets brought up and they don't even talk about the issues anymore. They just talk about each other. And we laugh about it and stuff, but we are just as bad. We do this all the time. We This happens between us in private or in public, but it's not going to be on no TV or CNN or Fox News or anything like that. This happens to us. We don't know how to talk to each other with disagreements or anything like that to uh, talk about something. So like our culture has come to say religion and politics don't talk about it. Why? Because we can't we can't figure out a way to respect each other and love each other when talking about these things. But G.K. Chesterton, he says, he said, uh, you know, the world tells us politics and religion don't speak about it, but those are the two most important things <laughs> that we need to talk about, right? And so we need to have love and compassion. We forget how to actually talk to each other. And again, that's rooted in not seeing another person as a brother and sister with dignity and value and love. So, and we need to be able to have those open dialogues um, and to actually talk about issues while seeing each other as brothers and sisters with dignity and speaking with love and tenderness towards each other and address act- the actual issues. But again, if we're really rooted in an authentic love, then we will seek the truth together in order to bring about greater good and for our human flourishing. And so 
right now, you know, I just said a whole lot of things and you might, and you know, so a lot, a lot of times just flip on any commercial or the news or anything like that. Like we might be angry. We might feel all these things, but a lot of us actually want to get more involved. Like, okay, what can I do? What, like, what can I do to serve these areas? What can I do to, uh, call out injustices or anything like that? And right now it's really hard because of quarantine. We can't serve our communities directly. Like we still can, but it's tough with quarantine. You know, some people might not be comfortable. We have families, like all that stuff, but we can financially support and, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And our financial support can bless and bear fruit for all these, uh, areas of seeking better, um, you know, just seeking the good for other people. Our financial support can help. And, but It's also the perfect time to start simple by transforming our own hearts in our homes. Nowhere is a heart more transformed than in our homes. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she would serve the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. And when people came to her, they said, Mother Teresa, I want to come serve the poor with you. She would tell them, first serve the Calcutta in your own home. If she said this, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And it's typically within our families, with our loved ones, that we see on a more frequent basis, if not every day, that actually reveal the weakness of our character and in our heart that need to be healed or purified. As we start being faithful and responsible in these small matters, we will be faithful, responsible in these larger matters. So start with the small matters at home as we grow in love and virtue at home and begin seeing the dignity that each person has, then we truly will have authentic love and we will only do to others as they would do unto us. Love really does fulfill all things as it's ordered towards the good. And through loving, not only will we grow for ourselves, but but for our community, our children, and Everybody around us will be impacted and then we can begin seeing generational change that can authentically happen. But again, it begins with leading yourself first. Lead yourself first. It can be overwhelming to see the news and all the things in the world that we wish we could just solve or do it all ourselves, but lead yourself first. Before telling others how to live rightly, lead yourself first. Before trying to offer solutions, we can lead ourselves first. Before looking to companies or governments, we can, we can lead ourselves first. Before fixing anybody else, we can fix ourselves first. Be faithful in the small matters, and that starts right at home. And it's typically right at home. You know, like, I don't know about you guys, but it's always been the case in any family that I've ever known. It's typically within their own homes. They'll even point it out to each other. You know, you're so nice to everybody else. Why aren't you nice to me? Why aren't you as friendly, as patient, as joyful, as sacrificial to me? And that is truly the revelation of the human heart right there. The people that we love the most, for whatever reason, we have the most difficult time actually loving and having compassion, being sacrificial in a joyful way of leading somebody else to know that they have dignity, value, and love. And this is a message for me too. And this is the transformation of the human heart that we all need. And out of all this, looking interiorly, seeing a transformation happen, and then uh, leading others in this truth and compassion and knowing that every single life is valuable, has dignity, has purpose. We should all have great hope right now. Greater good always comes out of all trials. Everything is redeemable. All evil is overcome by good. Martin Luther King Jr. He said, hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. 
There will be a greater good that comes out of all of this, and it's happening right now, and we should all desire to be a part of that. And it all starts in each one of our own hearts. Look inside. Look inside. And the way you look inside the best is when you begin serving others, when you begin serving your loved ones, when you begin serving your wife, your husband, your children, your family, your grandma, your grandpa, your parents, your coworkers, your community. Serving others will begin revealing your own heart to look interiorly, to transform your heart. A human heart has to be transformed. Laws, policies, they're great. That can never be the answer and it will never be the answer. No matter what we say, we know we outlaw murder, but it still happens. We outlaw bank robberies, but it still happens. It changes, it's the change of a human heart. We are all in this together. Have great hope. You are loved. Every single person that you pass today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, their life is sacred. Their life is sacred, has a purpose, it has value, it has dignity. Will you love it like that? Will we love it like that? Will I love it like that? Every single person I pass is the holiest thing I'll pass other, other than the Eucharist on this world. Will I treat it like that? So the takeaways from this, policies are great and needed. Conversion of heart is greater and is more necessary. We need to educate ourselves and primarily and ideally educating ourselves through serving and suffering with others, with our brothers and sisters. And we need to inform and protect our thoughts and our hearts to grow in true love and virtue. Love greater in our families, that will help us grow individually and will impact our families that we will reshape the future through generational change. And we need to have great hope and begin proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ where peace and justice meet. Jesus is the answer because he is the one who came fully while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Next time you see a person who does something that you think is morally bad, that person's life is still valuable, has still is still dignity. And if Christ died for us, we can die for that person. That's what we're called to do, to imitate our Lord, to go to the cross. And that cross, that suffering, that cup of suffering that God first drank on the cross showed us that there's a pearl in that suffering. That suffering is actually where we become even more united in the human race, that that transforms our hearts, that true unity, that true love is to die for another person, is to will the good of another, to have truth and compassion, to be leading always of seeing another person in the image and likeness of God. And that is where all of our issues come. There, Every single person is pointing out all these injustices, all these things that are against the human dignity. They're seeing the cross, but they're not seeing the Savior. Will we proclaim the Savior to them and then proclaim that they can be like him by a transformation of their lives, of their hearts, of their entire families by the workings of the Holy Spirit? Will we proclaim Jesus like never before? Because Jesus is the only answer. The person of Jesus Christ is what every single person's heart desires is needed. And that is what our culture and our world is crying out for, and yet they try to silence it even more. But will we be the light in the darkness? Will we be the salt of the earth? Let's get together, brothers and sisters, and let's have bold courage and love for another person and proclaim with zero shame Jesus Christ, 
the God man who died on a cross for you that says you are worthy of dying for because that is what we all are longing for.